The Safe Empowerment System helps you get out of anxiety in the moment it's happening, and it's 20% off right now. Go to quietbegins.com and use the promo code SAVENOW20, and you'll get 20% off the anxiety system that's designed to help you get into a much more peaceful place inside yourself. Quietbegins.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. I have an interesting topic today for the new year. Welcome to 2020 if you're listening to this as it's released. Uh, 2020 is the year of the hover cars and uh, what else in sci-fi? Quantum teleportation, all kinds of things that we're supposed to have at this time. But I don't see any of that. I see some of it. I see some electric cars and of course we have drones and things will progress from there. But uh, this show isn't about that. I'm just throwing in that as a little side quip. Where are the hover cars? <laughs> Somebody's going to write to me and say, they're, they're making them, I swear. This show isn't about that at all. This show is about your personal mental health and well-being, your emotional space, your ability to, like I said, avoid toxic situations with grace and ease. And uh, I would love to be able to do that with every toxic situation that comes my way. But it's, it's difficult. You don't always have the ability to avoid them. You don't always have the ability to handle them gracefully. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes the toxic element just seeps into your conversation, your relationship, and then you have to deal with it. And sometimes you deal with it from an emotionally triggered state. And sometimes you deal with it from a reasonable, rational, logical space and you see it for what it is and you decide not to take it personally. That's the, I think one of the better ways to handle it is to not take toxic elements in your conversation, in your relationship personally and see the toxicity for what it is, which is someone else's unhealed emotional space and that's very generalized. That's very simplified. It's much more than that. But when something toxic, when, when somebody becomes difficult that you're in a relationship with or you're in a conversation with, when they become difficult, when they seem to be motivated by something other than, I don't know, normal, healthy thoughts, you might be experiencing their old unhealed wounds their old trauma, whatever it is. I like to go in the space of knowing that they're dealing with something and they may have been dealing with this for many, many years, maybe most of their life. So 
it's really not about me. Because I can almost guarantee anyone that shows up in your life that has this toxic element or brings some sort of unwelcome behavior, they have probably been doing it long before they met you. And if it's family, somebody you've known all your life, they've probably been doing it as long as you've known them. The only difference is maybe you get into a relationship and then someone changes. That can happen. But maybe they didn't change. Maybe they were just nice at first or different at first, and then they showed their other self that was always there. You don't know until you talk with them. Were you always like this? Is this how you are in every conversation? Is it always so hard to get along with you? You may not want to have that conversation with them, but it is something that can be revealed if you decide to have a conversation like that with somebody like that. Uh, If you don't, then you may never find out. But don't take it personally. That's hard. People know what our buttons are after they've known us for a little while. They know what our values are. They know what our beliefs are. They know what our perceptions are, are everything that's important to us. They know what they are and they know how to upset us, you know, certain people. So they'll push our buttons, hoping to get us in a more vulnerable, quote, weaker space. And if we're in that weaker space, then they are in a more powerful space inside of themselves and they have power over us in some way. That doesn't mean you can't be triggered and still keep your power. There are certainly many times I'm triggered and I still have my power. Like I'll get triggered and I'll go, that son of a, I just want to punch him in the face. I just get triggered. And at the same time, I step in as the inner, more calm, more rational, more reasonable adult inside of me. And I think, okay, I need to handle this like an adult like a reasonable adult. And uh, that's what I do. So doing that allows me to access a more logical, more uh, reasonable space inside of me. But as you know, if you act from a triggered space, then you can look like the crazy one. You can look like you're out of control. You can look like uh, someone needs to commit you because you're so angry or you're so upset or you're so hurt. And so now you are in this triggered space and you're acting and reacting, responding from this triggered space. And um, people can look at you and say, you're nuts. I mean, that's sort of what I talk about in Love and Abuse, my other podcast, where someone is capable of triggering you knowing that you're not going to be able to access that inner, rational, reasonable, logical adult because you'll be so triggered so upset that you'll want to protect yourself, defend yourself, or attack. And one of those three will come out when you're triggered unless you're able to tell yourself, this isn't personal. This isn't about me. This involves me. I'm part of the formula, but this isn't about me. It's about them. They are doing this or saying something as a means to an end. They have probably done this to other people before, and it has worked for them. Therefore, it's a strategy that they've developed throughout the years, whether it was a coping mechanism, a survival mechanism when they were a child or something, but they have developed this and it works for them. So it really isn't about me. It feels like it's about me. They used my name. They pointed their finger at me, 
but it's not really about you. It's not. I mean, think about something that you do that might be considered toxic to someone else. And if you're listening, you're probably not a toxic person, but think of your past. Think of something that you did in your past that maybe you don't feel very good about. Maybe you hurt someone. I remember hurting someone in high school. I broke up with her and I never really liked being with her. Yet I stuck with her for a few months. We were dating and I feel bad that I just broke up with her. And, you know, I didn't know what I was, what I wanted back then or what I was doing. I was very new to dating. Dating wasn't my specialty. So when we were dating, we were boyfriend and girlfriend, technically. I think that's how she saw us. But I saw her as just someone to hang out with. And that was wrong because I I didn't realize how close she was getting to me, or I did. And I was just trying to deny it. But I feel bad about that. So I was the toxic one in that relationship, if you can call it that. It only lasted a few months, but to her it was a relationship. It was building and growing And I think she was developing feelings for me. And so I look back at that relationship and think, geez, what a jerk. (laughs) I was 16, 17, no, maybe 17. And I just didn't, I, I mean, I treated her nice, but then I just broke up with her. And I didn't really have a reason. I think my only reason was I just wanted to be liked, I guess. But the point is, I brought a toxic element into the relationship. That toxic element was that I wasn't being honest with her. I wasn't expressing how I felt about her. And I didn't express that I really wasn't interested in her. And so there's a lot of things I held back. And I I did treat her as if she um, wasn't that important. And that's very wrong. I mean, I admit that. it is It is very wrong to do that. And so I feel bad. So what I mean is I remember this moment in my life, these few months and how she felt when I broke up and boy, you know, I didn't realize she was going to take it that hard. I didn't realize she was going to be that upset. And she was, it taught me a lesson. It taught me when I get into a relationship, I need to commit. I'm either all in or all out. And so from that point on, I was committed. Anytime I got into a relationship, I committed. And so that taught me that we can do things in our life that we don't really mean That might be the first time that we do it and we never do it again. Hopefully we learn our lesson like I did in that one instance. But there's probably something in your past that you did. Maybe you hurt someone. Maybe you brought in the toxic element and uh, you have some feelings about it. And so if you feel guilty about it, you know, listen to my episodes on guilt. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, type in the word guilt. You'll see all kinds of references. But you might still feel bad. So I hope you get over guilt in those episodes. But how about just feeling bad? Sometimes that may never go away. I still feel bad about it. I, there's nothing I can do. It happened and I still feel bad about it. So you might have something that like that inside of you. And if you do, then think back to how that person reacted. Did they react all analytically and logically and say, well, that's okay. I know this is about you uh, and you have to deal with this. Um, that would be great. <laughs> it would be great because then it comes right back to you and you have to deal with it. But likely what happened is if you feel bad about something, you probably made them feel bad. And because they felt bad or because they felt mad or upset or sad, then you can look at your own behavior and ask yourself if that was the last time you've ever done that. Did you learn your lesson? And if you didn't, 
And if you did that kind of behavior again in your life, then you'll find out where your unhealed emotional wounds or old trauma are. Because that's what comes out of us when we're acting in a way that is unbecoming of us or hurtful to another person is that we carry around this old stuff and then it comes out in ways that might hurt others, might make them feel bad. Like I hear from quite a few people that say, you know, I am the emotional abuser in the relationship. I didn't think I was until I heard your show or whatever. And so when they have this realization, they realize I've been doing the same behavior over and over again, either in this relationship or in all my relationships. And I keep thinking it's not me, it's them. You know, some people, some of them might say that. But uh, once you figure out that maybe there's some sort of issue that you need to deal with inside yourself, that you keep showing up in a way that's hurtful or, again, unbecoming of you, then maybe it's time to look at what you need to heal inside of you. Because this is what happens. We carry around these old triggers, these old emotional wounds. And if we don't heal, then our relationships are more difficult. Our conversations are more difficult. And somebody, if they're conscientious enough, are going to point their finger at us and say, look, I'm not going to take what you just did or said personally because there's something going on in you that you need to take care of. Just like you can look at someone else when they're reacting to you or they're hurting you or they're treating you badly, either in a similar or dissimilar way as you treated someone in your past, and hopefully it's a very dissimilar way, but sometimes you're faced with a reflection of what, you, what you've done in your past, and it's helpful to see someone else behaving like that so you can look at them and go, oh, that's right, that's how I was. Or I could have been the exact same way as that person, what they're doing right now. I could have said those hurtful words. I could have done what they're doing now but I've healed from that, thankfully, or I learned from that, or I really got my butt kicked because I was that way. And, but I still learned and I still grew out of it, or I still, you know, uh, was able to resolve it or process it in some way, but they are in that space. So it's helpful to recall what you have done in your past that you may not feel very good about and also have healed from those acts, those behaviors, those words, And if you have healed, to know that what was really happening was inside you, even though someone else may have triggered you, it's still inside you what came out, which helps you look at someone compassionately and empathetically, even when they're trying to hurt you and say, oh, I see what's going on. They have some old unhealed emotional wounds or old unhealed trauma, or they have what we might call control issues. They have control issues. Why do they want to control? It's probably a survival mechanism or probably a coping mechanism. They are afraid of losing control because if they lose control, then what does that mean for them? They don't want to find out, so they keep control. And so we can look at other people and in our mind's eye, point the finger at them and say, they need to heal. They need to go through some sort of personal development, some personal growth, some processing, some releasing And what they're doing right now isn't about me. Imagine the power you get to keep inside you if you decide that what they're doing and what they're saying isn't about me. That feels good. That's not about me. That's about them. 
because I'm not the only person they've ever done it to. Let's just say that you find out that you're the only person they've ever treated like this. And you have verified that for a fact. A, it's probably not true. If it is, then A, they're probably young because we usually learn behaviors like that when we're younger. So these behaviors start to develop while we're in a relationship while we're young uh, or not in a relationship. But usually when we're younger, we have hurtful behaviors that come out of us because we don't necessarily know that they're hurting the other person. Just like when I was a teenager, I didn't really know I was hurting my girlfriend at that time. I just hurt her and I didn't know. I mean, I didn't hurt her while we were going out, but I wasn't as honest and forthcoming. And then when we broke up, it was a total surprise to her. That's not a good, healthy way to do it. And it's not a nice way to treat someone else. But I had to learn. I had to learn from that experience by being compassionate, by being empathetic after the fact, realizing, oh, that hurts people when I don't tell them the truth. That hurts them when I'm really not interested and I make them think I am. Oh, that's probably not a good behavior to continue. So I changed the behavior. Just like someone in your life that might be hurting you can change. Sometimes. Sometimes they can't. There are people that can't change. The narcissist probably not going to change. The unempathetic, uncompassionate person, uh, discompassionate, one of those words, isn't going to change. And if they do, it's something that they figured out in themselves because of something that happened in their life, even in the relationship that you're in with them now, where they realize, wow, what I did affected this so strongly that I'm losing connection with this person. In other words, they take responsibility for their behavior. And you got to be careful because some people don't. Some people will not take responsibility for their own behavior and always point the finger at you. Those are the people you got to watch out for. You don't want to be around them too much because it's a no-win situation. Actually, it's a win-lose situation. It's always win for them, lose for you. So if you're around someone that's always pointing the finger at you, always blaming you, then you're not in a good situation. You're not in a relationship. You've probably heard me say that before. You're not in a fair, kind, caring, generous, supportive relationship. Definitely not an equal relationship. In fact, my definition of a relationship includes all those terms. And if you are not getting any of those terms or most of those terms, then I cannot define what you have as a relationship, even if it's with family, friends, family, romantic, all of the above. So if you have a relationship with your mom, but it doesn't include those words, kind, caring, supportive, generous, then you don't have a relationship. You have a connection through family, but don't look for something that isn't there. Don't try to squeeze it out of someone that doesn't have it. But sometimes we want to believe they have it. Sometimes we look at someone and we say, I want to believe your kindness is in there somewhere. Your compassion, your empathy is in there somewhere. Even worse, I saw it before and now it's not there. It's worse because that leaves us with all this hope that they're going to get it back. But usually what happens is because the stimulus for their triggers hasn't changed, the relationship hasn't changed, and they haven't learned that they need to heal, then the relationship uh, never changes, nothing ever improves, and they stay the same 
And you, maybe, continue hoping that they won't stay the same. And so that hope is usually unmet. And when it's unmet over and over and over again, it will continue to cause you to hope more a lot of the times or give up. And it's rare that caring people give up, unfortunately. I know, unfortunately, right? I think it's great when you care and when you're empathetic. I mean, I'm not differentiating myself from other caring people. I care too. I'm saying that a lot of us people that care, we like to continue giving the benefit of the doubt. We like to continue allowing someone to show up in a different way, giving them the opportunity to show up in a different way, to show us that they have a different side, that they have a better side, that they have a good side, a a kind, ethical, moral, everything that we like about them side. Uh, Because A, we might have seen it before, or B, we just know there's something deeper that we haven't seen and they show little bits and pieces of it, but they never come out. Or C, we just have this false hope and it really doesn't exist at all. And some people might say, well, everyone has some kindness in them, some compassionate behavior. And although that could be true, that's still debatable (laughs) to me, it's not necessarily something that you need to stick around for. Because let's just say they finally decide to connect with that caring, compassionate, empathetic side and finally realize they're hurting you in some way. Let's just say that's 25 years from now. Are you going to wait? I mean, I got an email from someone that said, you know, I don't feel like I'm enough. Everything I do, I just don't feel like I'm enough. Everything I am is just not enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. You know, she didn't use those particular words. Uh, I think it's a sheep, and I just don't know if I'm enough. I've had so many awful things happen in my life. I lost my husband, and now I'm remarried, and and all of these awful things that any one of us would go through and feel defeated by, at least temporarily, but she still feels that way, and some of us would feel that way too for many, many years later, and when you feel that way continuously, there's no closure from the past. And there's also fear that you're never going to be able to do what you need to be able to do because you have issues or limitations or obstacles in your life. But she wrote and said all these things that, you know, I just don't know what to do. I feel so defeated and I definitely don't feel like I'm ever going to be enough. And I barely get through every day. There's no joy or happiness in my life. So she's definitely, you know, down and out. And, you know, certainly seek therapy, talk to a professional. That's a a good thing to remember that there are people out there that deal with this all the time. There are people that deal with this kind of state of mind and emotional place that uh, you fall into. And if you're in that space, don't be afraid to reach out to someone. Look, I need help. And so this person, you know, she reached out to me. I don't know if I can, you know, help her directly or not, but at least I can discuss what she's going through here and at least let her know that um, there is something you can do if you feel like you're not enough. If you feel like you're never good enough, you're never smart enough, you're never pretty enough, or you're always failing, you're always sabotaging yourself, all the words that we use that really cover the spectrum. Like, I'm always terrible at this. I'm always stupid at this. I'm always a failure. 
If we say that, then there's no room for improvement because always covers everything. It never covers everything. These are the big absolutes that we throw in our path that stop us from improving. And we have to be really careful how we use that language so we don't sabotage ourselves. And so this kind of veers off what I talked about earlier when it comes to unhealed emotional trauma, unhealed emotional wounds that you may be carrying around with you. Uh, I talk about that every now and then on this show is what, what are we carrying? What kind of negativity are we carrying into the future? I think it's good to talk about when the new year starts because what do we usually think about when a new year starts? Uh, we usually think about, a lot of us think about what's going to be different. What's going to improve? What is going to change? What is going to be better about this year than last year? And so we have these thoughts about what we can do to improve ourselves, um, what we can do to improve our lives. Uh, not everyone has those thoughts, but I have a feeling that's the general consensus that goes around the world is, oh, new year, new beginning. And so, okay, what can we do differently? And I think about behavior that I've done in my past that I have either carried with me or have released and let go. If I've carried it with me, I'm hoping it's helpful and productive and resourceful and good for me and others. If I've carried it with me and it's not any of those things and it's unhelpful, maybe it's an old belief, maybe it's an old fear, then I have to readdress it. I have to look at it. I have to process and hopefully heal and release it. Just like what you're dealing with, maybe something from your past. Doesn't mean you automatically start feeling better about all the bad stuff that happened. It just means that you're able to get to the point where it's not debilitating. It's not an obstacle that keeps you from reaching happiness. Like this person who wrote, she lost someone important in her life. And it sounds to me that she hasn't done the proper letting go and grieving. There's a grieving process and a letting go process that when you do it, when you are able to let go, let go of a person that has died, then you're able to live the life that I'm sure, and this is going to sound a little spiritual, they want you to live because people want our happiness. The people that love us want our happiness. And if someone left your life and you haven't let them go, it's quite possible that you will keep yourself from your own happiness. And if you think that being happy goes against what you experienced with that person, then let me just remind you that that person, if they really loved you, wants you to be happy. And so I've kind of gone off on a little tangent here, but um, I'm going to bring it right back around when we come back and talk about not so much about the, the pain that we might be carrying around, the negativity, the old unhealed trauma, but what we can do moving forward as we go into the new year, as we think about how we can use our language in a way that's productive and resourceful for us, beneficial to our mental health and also our behavior. So when we are faced with someone in our life that is difficult and we need to figure out how to deal with them to remember, yes, they are dealing with something. It's not personal. It's not about you, even though they point at you and call you by name. It's still not about you because in general, we get along. In general, people are supposed to get along. That's how we survive. That's how we continue to thrive and even reproduce on this planet is we have to get along. That's what we're wired to do. 
when we don't get along is when there's something about either us or them that is causing us to have an issue with it. So again, not everyone can get past these issues because there are other mental challenges they're dealing with. But I think for the most part, if you're listening to a show like this, then you are very likely able to get past what's going on if you're carrying anything with you. And also, definitely, if you can't think of anything that you're carrying with you, but you're still having difficulties with certain people in certain relationships, then our next segment talks about these absolutes that we put in front of us, like he always does this or she never does that, and how we set ourselves up and them to fail. So there's some interesting stuff we're going to talk about right after this. We'll be right back. Talk to you in a moment. The Safe Empowerment System for Social Anxiety is how that program began. It is now the Safe Empowerment System for All Anxiety because anxiety kind of has that same origin of fear of people watching me, judging me, talking to me. Uh, It's usually around other people. I mean, you can have anxiety about doing something in fear for your life as well. Like, I'm afraid to take these stairs because I have anxiety about stairs. So it can be very personal too. This is why there are many aspects of anxiety is that there's some sort of fear that originates inside of us that we generalize into the world. And so this fear could be a fear of talking to somebody, for example. Oh God, I don't want to talk to that person. And my first question is, well, why? Well, if I talk to that person, they might see right through me. They might see that I'm really a dummy. You know, I don't know my stuff. And then I might ask, well, if they saw you as a dummy, how is that a problem? I always love that question. How is that a problem? You're going to hear it in the next segment. (laughs) How is that a problem if they saw you as a dummy? And the answer might be, well, if they see me as a dummy, I might not uh, get the job or I might be seen as uh, too stupid for this club or too stupid for this group or I don't know. I'll just feel like I'm inferior in some way or they won't welcome me or they won't like me. And then I would ask, well, how is them not liking your problem? I mean, why would that even be a challenge for you? And you might think, well, of course that's a problem. But, you know, if I have to answer it, I would say, if they don't like me, then, you know, where are you going to go with it? Then I might be alone. I might be unwelcome anywhere. I, I, I will go home and I'll cry because I won't feel liked and I won't feel like I'm part of something bigger. And so I might even go further down into that and ask you, okay, let's just say that no one liked you. Let's just say that you were alone and you could never be welcome uh, because they never wanted you at all, ever. You might first think, wow, that's just awful. That's just terrible. And I would ask, well, how is that a problem? And you would have to dive in so deep when I ask these questions that you would find the origin of your anxiety. And that origin is once you connect with it, it's a start. It's a step in the right direction because we're so used to this shield that we put around ourselves. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to be in this environment. I don't want to be around these people. I just want to shield myself so I don't have to expose myself 
to anything that could hurt me or put me in a different state of mind. So I have this buffer between me and the world where I'm actually taking you inside the buffer down deeper inside of you to connect with the origin. Because once you connect with the origin, you might have some realizations that help you disconnect from the anxiety. And if you can find the origin and figure it out, what's going on in there and why you keep going into that same anxiety state, then maybe your path to healing will start. And that healing path gets you into a better space inside your head, around other people, around situations. That doesn't mean anxiety completely goes away because anxiety is a warning system. Hey, you're about to walk into the tall grass and there are snakes there. <laughs> Just letting you know. I don't want to put any fear of walking in tall grass. But when the body responds like that, it's the warning system. Hey, I'm just letting you know. So you should be kind of uh, aware that there's something dangerous here. But we don't need that warning system to come up all the time. We don't need to have it come up when we're talking to the boss or talking to an ex or walking up the stairs or taking an elevator or flying on an airplane. We don't need these warning systems all the time. We just need them in certain situations. It's just that we generalize the anxiety to go everywhere and we take it with us and uh, what do we do? I don't want to feel this, so I'm just going to avoid that. We start to exclude ourselves from activities and relationships and other things that might cause that anxiety. So that's why it's important if you have anxiety and you want to get over it to dig into the origin. And so the safe empowerment system is all about helping to connect with that origin, helping to get you out of your shell if you're in a shell, or at least get you to a point where you feel more comfortable being yourself and getting into that space where you're comfortable being vulnerable, being you is powerful. I know vulnerability doesn't sound like power, but it is. Because if you can be vulnerable in front of people and survive it, you gain a lot of emotional strength. You gain a lot of experience because once you do it several times, that experience leads to confidence, leads to not thinking about it at all. And soon you're doing all the things that you didn't do before. And so that's what the safe empowerment system helps you do is connect with you at the deepest level. Uh, there's a lot of subconscious processes in there. There's a lot of unique processes in there that will help you get through anxiety in the moment. And uh, it might be exactly what you're looking for. If you're dealing with anxiety, I highly recommend you go to quietbegins.com. And if you're listening to this show and it's still January 2020, the code SAVENOW20 is going to get you 20% off the program. So it's a great time to buy uh, if you've been holding off. But uh, check it out. Go to quietbegins.com and just wash that anxiety away. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to get into the absolutes that uh, we try to use to fool ourselves and other people. These absolutes like always and never or another one every time. Like you do this every time we paint people into a corner so that they have no choice but to respond either defensively, offensively, or not at all. Like I know somebody in my life that was very good at painting me into a corner so I felt like I couldn't say anything. I felt like I was totally trapped. I felt like she shut the door on me, locked it. There was no way to get out and there were no windows. 
And whatever she said, she said it so well that I felt like I had no defense at all. And it was weird because I didn't think I was wrong, but I didn't know how she made me wrong. (laughs) She was able to make me feel wrong. Now, this wasn't something I believe she was doing on purpose. It's just the way she communicated and the way she learned to stand up for herself, maybe, when she was growing up. doesn't matter. I just went through that experience and didn't know I went through that experience until much many years later after I lost touch with her. So it was an interesting relationship that we had because I would, quote, lose arguments. And so when we would have any type of debate or conversation, she would know exactly what to say to paint me into a corner with no way out. And I could have been right about something, but it wouldn't matter because she said things in a way that um, I couldn't defend myself. And so what I'm talking about in this segment is you have, I think they're called universal quantifiers. Like you use the words always and never or every time um, that state an absolute. But in reality, it's really like, shutting a door that you never want opened. In other words, the sentence, uh, you never wash the dishes. It isn't true if they've ever washed the dishes. I mean, you can say you rarely wash the dishes and that might be a true statement, but you never wash the dishes. How is someone supposed to respond to that? They might say, well, of course I washed the dishes. I washed them last week. And that might be true. But your response might be, yeah, one time one time or once a month or whatever it is. And the conversation doesn't really go anywhere. One person feels defeated and all they're doing is trying to get back on track and try to have a conversation about it. And the other person feels righteous and won't back down. And I'm not saying that it's invalid to feel righteous in that moment. It might be true that they hardly ever do the dishes in this example, but is the conversation useful? Is it productive? Is it uh, beneficial to say, you never do this, or you always do that, or every time you come home, you say this, every single time? Unless it's true, you really can't say that. And I know it's a great way to paint someone in a corner. It's a great way to make your point because it has a lot of emphasis and it has a lot of energy behind it. And you can prove 98% of the time that what you're saying is true. So it gives you a lot of power and that intensity behind that statement. You never do this. It feels like you have an army of emotional support there for you while you make this kind of statement. And so I understand why we do it. I mean, I've been known to do it many times in my life. I may still do it every now and then. I have to be careful how, what I say and make sure it's true because that's, question you ask yourself, is that really true? Do they never do that? Do they always do that? Because if it's not really true, then I need to change the wording. And I want to tell you why that's important. You know, it's easy just to get into a conversation and say, yeah, well, you never do that. You never do it. But when you say that, what you're doing is failing to convey the real issue inside of you, which is how it makes you feel when they do or don't do something. You know, when you're talking to someone else and you want to say, you always do that or you never do that, it really doesn't say, you know, when you say you're going to do that and you don't, it makes me feel like you don't care. That connects at a deeper level, doesn't it? That connects at a deeper 
more intimate, more meaningful, more real space than the zoomed out, you never do this or you always do that. That's so zoomed out, so disconnected from actuality that the conversation could explode into a million different directions. But let's be specific. If you really want to say something, we'll use the dishes as the example. If you really want to say, you never do the dishes, then instead of saying it, stop yourself by saying, okay, I want to say you never do the dishes. First, is that true? You know, you're talking in your own mind. Uh, No, it's not true, but he or she rarely does them. Okay, that may be true too, but is it really useful to say you rarely do the dishes? It's not even that powerful, is it? You rarely do these dishes. It feels better to say you never do the dishes. But it's not even useful to say you rarely do the dishes. It's more useful to say, you know, when the dishes are piled up and you just walk by them three or four times and don't give them a second look or even pile more on and you don't do them, it makes it look like you want me to do all the work. And it also makes me think that you really don't care if I stay up an extra hour doing the dishes while you go to sleep. It makes me feel that way. Now, that's a very intelligent adult conversation. And how often does that happen? (laughs) I mean, if you're with someone that you've been with for a long time and you guys are always triggering each other, whether it's a romantic relationship or another relationship, no matter who it is in your life, if you know how to trigger the other person, if you don't always get along, then it's a lot easier to just trigger them than to have the adult conversation because the adult, I'm using the word adult loosely here. When I say adult, I mean a reasonable, rational, logical, analytical, just a more common sense conversation instead of flying off the handle, acting from fight or flight or from a child's point of view where you don't know how to communicate or express yourself. So you just go wild in an emotional way Um, again, those might be valid feelings and you might have valid things to say, but how productive is the conversation and where will it lead? Because I can guarantee you when you say you never do the dishes, that's going to be a lot less productive and probably not lead to the best outcome. It can, I mean, you might say that and they might realize, oh, you know, you're right. I don't ever do the dishes and I need to do it more and I will. That would be fantastic. (laughs) You probably don't have to listen to a show like this if you get along that well. You probably are in a great relationship already. You probably get along with people. There's probably very little toxic elements in your life, in your family, in your relationships. But if you're listening to this, you probably want some pointers or some suggestions on how to deal with someone in your life that's difficult. And the difficulty usually comes because of the words we use. The words we use are vital and they will make or break the outcome, the one one we want. If we want a good outcome and we want something that really gets to the heart of the matter, we have to express our heart. We have to express what's going on inside of us. Instead of pointing the finger saying, you do this, you do that, or you never do this and you never do that. So I think it's important to express what's going on inside of you. And it's important to be with someone where you feel safe enough to do that. Even family. If you're with family who doesn't make you feel safe enough to express what's going on in your heart, 
then it might be time to separate a little bit. That's just a suggestion. I'm not telling you you need to do that. But if I was around my mom and I said, oh, mom, you know, when you call me and I tell you I have to go because I'm really tired and you say, okay, no problem, but you never hang up and you want to talk more and more and more, I might get a little upset and I just want you to stop doing that because it really feels like you don't respect my time. And it might be hard to say that to my mom, but I guarantee you it's going to improve the relationship or I'm going to find out that my mom really doesn't want to support my path, really doesn't care about what I want. Now, this is a bad example because my mom is a a saint. She's wonderful. So I would never have this conversation with her. We're both very open for the most part. I think I'm more open than she is, but I've worked on it for a long time. And as honest as she is, in most cases, uh, there are still some things that she won't be as forthcoming about, especially when it comes to her heart. But uh, she is opening up. Not that you need to know any of this, but like I said, when you get into a conversation with someone, it's a lot more meaningful and will probably have a shorter negative lifespan when you confront it from the heart instead of from the finger. And what I mean by that is if you express from your heart, like this is how I feel when you say that. This is how I feel when you don't do that. And it hurts me or it makes me sad or it makes me feel like you don't love me or it makes me feel like you don't care about me or respect my time. That really gets to the heart of something they can't necessarily argue about. They might invalidate you. That's a whole different conversation and a whole different episode that I've talked about on my other podcast when there's invalidation like you shouldn't feel that way, or I didn't do that. And it doesn't matter what you say. They're just going to deny how you feel. That's an irrational conversation. That's them needing to heal something in them. That's when you go, oh, I see what's going on here. They're going through some sort of unhealed thing. They're going through some sort of old trauma, old past emotional wounds. And it's not about me. Like I said in the last segment, I am not going to take it personally. So I'm just going to let them be. I don't want to address that because there's something going on in them. There's no way I'm going to be able to change their mind. So I need to take care of myself because they have a different agenda going on. They're they're working on themselves or maybe they're not working on themselves, but they certainly aren't looking inward. They're certainly not being compassionate or empathetic because that's what I'm talking about today is like when you have someone in your life that when you share your heart with them, it should access their compassion and empathy. It should. And you're not doing it to trick them into it. You're doing it to let them know how you really feel. Because when somebody else is able to see what's happening, they have a choice on how to respond next. Hopefully it's, I don't want to make you feel that way. I I am sorry if that's how you feel. That would be at least some sort of validation. They may still follow it up with, I'm sorry that's how you feel. I didn't mean that, but I still believe I'm right. (laughs) They may say that. It may sound very negating after they just validated you. It might sound invalidating after that, but at least there was a validation. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel that way, but you know, I I feel hurt too. They may say that and they have every right to say that. I feel hurt too. And then you can have a real conversation. Okay, I didn't mean to hurt you either. Okay, well, let's talk about this. How are you hurting me and how am I hurting you? Let's get to some sort of resolution here. Because maybe we didn't know we were doing it to each other. And I know this is kind of a far cry, maybe not that far, from doing the dishes or not. 
I just use that as an example for most things because I think it's something that a lot of us can relate to. If it's not the dishes, it's you promise to clean up, you promise to mow the lawn, you promise to take out the garbage. These are the, all the mundane things that we do every week uh, that when we're around someone else, if they're not doing them and we have feelings about it, then you know we can all relate to that. So that's why I bring that up. When it comes to being able to converse in a way that's productive, that is supposed to lead to empathy and compassion and stay away from the weeds of contrast and adversity and downright getting angry at each other, I think the best point of view is to not use a pointing finger at someone else and just bring it into yourself and say, look, when you do that or when you don't do that, this is how I feel and this is what I'm thinking and it, it really hurts or it makes me feel sad. And it gives them an opportunity to show up differently or at least have a conversation about something tangible. When you say, you never wash the dishes, it's hardly tangible. Because it's probably not even a fully true statement. It's probably not the right criteria to use because it's so zoomed out and it's so general. Really, I never do it. I mean, you're going to get people to answer like that. Really, I never do it ever. You've never seen me do it. Then how do you get out of that? Well, I saw you once. Well, then why are you saying I never do it? There's another argument that could be something that branches off the original argument. So that's why it's important not to use these absolutes. You never, you always, or every time. Those kind of absolutes really keep you out of resolution. You know, I didn't talk about resolutions, but if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, resolve to be more honest with yourself and the people around you by expressing how you are affected by their behavior. Can't do that with everyone. You don't want to do it with everyone. <laughs> there are some people that are a little too dangerous, a little too violent, a little too aggressive. And then you have to ask yourself, well, why am I around these people? But you do want to make sure that you are mentally strong inside yourself so that you know what's being affected and that when you feel like pointing the finger and blaming them or making sure that they know what they did wrong, I suggest you do so in a way that comes from your heart and not your finger. Well, it sounds a little strange, but I hope that makes sense. And uh, when you do that, you give them an opportunity to change. You give them an opportunity to show up differently and you give them an opportunity to access empathy and compassion and hopefully you have the same for them too. Thanks so much for joining me today. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and my goodbyes and my last words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to go to quietbegins.com and use the promo code SAVENOW20 if you want 20% off the safe empowerment system for anxiety over at quietbegins.com. I also want to thank iTunes reviewers Inspired Chef in Progress and The Original Glass. Inspired Chef in Progress says it's a great podcast and easy to listen to and helpful. Thank you so much. And the original Glass, their iTunes handle, said uh, more, <laughs> said a lot more, including the only thing I find challenging about your presentation is the sheer volume of time it takes to listen through to the end of an episode. I totally get it. It is a long show, an hour long. 
no longer than an average TV show, I guess, but uh, maybe longer than the podcast you used to, but also shorter than some other podcasts that you might listen to. And sometimes there will be points where it sounds like I'm rambling, but I promise I do have a point to everything I say. Everything is intentional, but I hear you. I get it. And I highly recommend until that changes to perhaps listen to the show at one and a half times the speed. <laughs> Not for everyone I know and doesn't really help. But um, if there's a big demand for shorter episodes, I will absolutely consider it. So I'm just going to continue doing what I do, trying to make this the best show I possibly can and doing it without the big budget that some shows have, uh, which can be helpful. It would be nice to have a giant budget with editors and producers and copywriters and somebody just hands me my outline and says, here, talk about this today. It doesn't really happen, so it can take a lot of time. And so I want to thank you, The Original Glass, and of course, Inspired Chef in Progress. Those iTunes reviews always teach me something and I take in every word and apply what I can. So whenever you have feedback, certainly leave it in iTunes. There are other places too, like Spotify and CastBox and Overcast. There's so many places actually that it's hard to check them all. And sometimes I'm months from checking. So I might not get back to those in a while. Usually iTunes is where I check for any kind of reviews that come in just to make sure that um, I'm not ticking anyone off. <laughs> but speaking of budgets, like I say on every episode, the patrons that support this show over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com are really how we continue going forward. This show is what we call listener supported. Uh, and if you want to support this show because you find value because it's helped you in some way, you can do so over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I want to thank the existing patron members. Some of you have been with us for years, years. And so I'm thinking, wow, how can I thank these people? So I'm, I'm working something up. I got to figure this out. But I want to thank anyone that's been in the patron program giving just a small amount per month, some more and some less. But um, everything that goes into a show to create something like this uh, has a monetary value to it. So we appreciate the support and um, I appreciate every patron member that's in the program. If you'd like to join, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And not only will you be supporting the show, I also give back. There are private episodes in there, workbooks and worksheets, discounts off my products and services, and um, video archive, all of that in the patron program just to thank you for supporting the show. So check it out if you get a chance. And I mentioned the Love and Abuse podcast. That is my other show at loveandabuse.com. That's if you're in a difficult relationship, anyone that shows up as difficult or toxic in your life, and you want to figure out how to deal with it, how to work through it, how to heal through it, and also maybe assess the relationship to find out just how toxic it is. This is where the term emotional abuse comes in. If you are dealing with a very difficult relationship and you're pulling your hair out and you can't figure out how to, quote, fix it or heal it, maybe you need to listen to Love and Abuse. Go to loveandabuse.com. And this is where you can figure it out. This is where you can learn even more about poisonous communication and toxic behavior. Loveandabuse.com. And finally, I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of their music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And as I said earlier, the words always and never and every time, they also remind me of other words that we use that we really fool ourselves into using. And what I mean is that we can sabotage our own path to success in life if we use words like 
enough or more or less in certain contexts that is. So what I mean by that is I received an email and I think I started talking about this, but I received an email where she said, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to be enough. Yeah, I think I did. I don't think I have uh, closed that loop yet. <laughs> I think I, I started talking about someone who sent me an email who was having an issue, um, suffered loss in her life and she's still experiencing the loss. And I started talking about how she hasn't reached closure. She hasn't really had the full grieving process and letting go process. So she's still stuck in that state. Uh, but she also feels down on herself. Like, you know, what's life worth living, but she has to live. And, uh, I didn't tell you this earlier, but she says, I keep living because guilt keeps me alive. And so that's really, I mean, talk about down on everything. You are at the bottom or pretty much at the bottom when the only thing keeping you alive is you'll feel guilty if you die or take your own life. And hopefully she doesn't do that. But one of the things I want to tell her and anyone listening that ever says something like, I'll never be enough, or I'm too much of this, or I need to be more this or less that. These words, more, less, never enough, too much, they don't really describe an actual amount. They don't describe an actual measurement. And this is where we can really mess ourselves up. And let me use a simple example. And this uh, came up in the mastermind I'm in. Uh, one of the members, she said, you know, I've always had this mentality of, I got to make more money. I got to make more money, but I, I never had a measurement for it. I never said I got to make, you know, six figures a year or seven figures a year. I never had that measurement or even that is still pretty ambiguous. Like, let's just say that I want to make $150,000 a year. That's measurable. That's quantifiable because once you hit that number, you can say, yes, I met it. I met that goal. But I believe a lot of us will say things like, I just need to make more money or I just need to do more. I just need to love this person more. I just need to uh, work more weekends. I just need to, you know, we use these terms that have so much leeway that it gets us into trouble. I mean, mentally speaking and emotionally, it gets us into trouble to use the words more and less when we use them in a way that is not measurable. And so the example of money, I want to make more money. Well, what does that mean? Well, I want to make more than I have now. Okay, so here's the question. And this question applies across the board, no matter which one of those words you're using. The question is, how will you know when you have enough? And for the person who wrote the email, how will you know when you are enough? What is it that you're using as a gauge? If you don't know how you'll know that you'll be enough or have enough or are doing enough, then you will never, ever be enough, have enough or do enough. You will never, ever be able to have enough, be enough or do enough because you'll never know what to gauge it by. You'll never know what qualifies as enough. You have to say, okay, what is enough? Like when people come to me and say, I just need more confidence. Okay. What does more confidence look like to you? I might ask something like that and they might say, well, I want to be able to walk into a room and feel like I can talk to anyone. And I can look at that as one of the qualifiers. I can say, okay, great. There's a checkbox. Let's put that empty box on a piece of paper and say, I want to be able to talk to anyone in a room that way. 
when you walk into a room and you're able to talk to anyone, does that mean you're confident now? They might say, well, you know, yeah, I could probably talk to anyone because I could probably fake myself out, but I won't be able to talk to that CEO or I won't be able to talk to that beautiful woman or handsome guy. I don't know if I could do that. So I wouldn't be confident if I could just talk to anyone, even though anyone might be included in all of that. But what happens is you start to narrow it down and you start to create criteria. And so when you use these words, uh, enough or more or less, then what you need to do is create criteria around that so you know what enough is, so you know what more is, or when more will be enough, or when less will be few enough or something. And having this criteria gives you something specific to measure by. Because let's just say that um, you're making, let's use a money example. Let's just say that you're making $50,000 a year. I mean, that would be a great salary for a lot of people. So 50000 a year, but I need more. So that might be something you say. I need more because I have this house and I have a car and I have kids and I have debt and, and I, have, uh, I have to buy food every week. So I need more. Okay, so what is more? I don't know. I just need to make more. Well, how about um, 10000 more? Will 10000 more work? If they say, well, 10000 would help, then I would ask, well, what would be enough? be specific. It's not that I'm asking you to be overly optimistic. I'm just asking you to have a gauge, have a guide, have something that when you meet it, it will free you from your limited thinking. When I say that, I don't mean it offensively, but if you think I just need more or I'll never be enough, you need to know how you'll know when you are enough or how you know when you have enough. Because if you don't know that, then you'll never meet it. You have to know it. The reason I'm telling you this is the person who wrote the email, I'm hoping he or she is listening right now, because it's vital that you know what enough means to you. To her, it might mean, well, when my spouse can look me in the eyes and say, I love you no matter what, that will be enough for me to know I'm enough. I don't think it's that for this particular person, but let's just say that was one of the qualifiers. That's what qualifies as part of the enough spectrum. I would ask if your spouse does that, would you then feel that you were enough? He or she would probably say, well, no, it's also if um, I'm respected at work. And I might ask, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to be respected at work? Well, I want to be able to walk into my boss's office And he or she can talk to me as if I'm an adult and doesn't yell at me. And then we put a little checkbox there. Boss doesn't yell at me anymore. And then I'll say, okay, so if your spouse looks at you in the eyes and says that and your boss doesn't yell at you anymore, now do you feel like you're enough? And as you go through this process, you're going to discover other things that will finally make you realize what qualifies as enough or having more. Like, I need more money. Okay, if you had $10,000, would that be enough for you to feel like you have enough money? If you say no, because I have this other stuff going on, now you're getting into more details that really help you narrow down what the problems are in life or what the challenges or obstacles that you have going on so that you can learn how to overcome them. That's what this is all about, trying to figure out how to get past your own interpretations of what's enough or what's not enough 
and stop speaking in riddles because more is a riddle. Enough is a riddle. Less is a riddle. You qualify it with something measurable. You qualify it with something tangible so that when you meet it, at least in your mind as you're going through this process, you can ask yourself, okay, will that be enough? Am I now satisfied at that point? And if you say no, then you'll discover something else that you need to meet. And this is just step one. There's a lot to work on. I get, I get it. But that's why I always say at the end of every episode, and that's where we are now, you just got to keep your mind open because you never know how you might be limiting yourself with the language you use and the perceptions that you have. But keeping your mind open helps you step into your power. And having that power allows you to think things through like this and get past any of the old obstacles that might be keeping you from progressing. Being in power helps you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve no matter what. You are more powerful than you'll ever realize. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.